um, three-part message or four-part message. Um, this is the fourth part, looking at the coming into the world of the Lord Jesus. And I get to talk about Jesus. Now, what's really fun for me about this, um, Shama back there might remember it. She's sitting next to Katie. That when we were, all the kids were growing up in our house, sometimes at supper time, after the meal, which is probably not a good time to do it because you're then full, but the father of the house would drone on and on about biblical things, and the kids' minds were probably often a thousand miles away, and when all of a sudden the father of the house would stop his droning and ask a question, the kids learned that you had like a 50-50 chance of being right if you answered Jesus. So that was just the safest way to respond. You probably didn't get in trouble. What I have to talk about today is Jesus. And I do this with joy, with excitement, and it is, in a certain sense, one of the easiest messages to prepare. At the same time, I have this huge sense of inadequacy. It's how do you convey, how do you, how do you do it? How do you talk about Jesus in a way that does him justice? And it's like impossible. I went over it. I tried to think about it. I have, like, the content that I had, was thinking about to put into this message, we would have been here until the evening service. And I still wouldn't be covering the subject or doing justice to it. So I'm going to do my best, and I'm sure for many of us that know and love Jesus, as I am talking today, you'll be thinking, he should mention this, he should mention this, he should talk about this. And that's just how it is, because we love Jesus and we love to talk about him. So to quickly, well, first of all, the verse that's kind of the theme verse is, you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And that was what the angel told Joseph. Joseph was instructed, this is what he was to call this child when the child was born. It was a declaration, and Jesus really at its core means God saves. And Jesus was coming into the world to save sinners. So there's the declaration, you will call his name Jesus. If we scroll back in our series, we will, talk, we will remember speaking about the prophetic inauguration of Christ, the, all the thoughts, and the, we, um, Chris went through that where we, t we read some of the scriptures that had to do with Christ's, the, the predictions of his coming or the prophecies that spoke of his coming and how the nation of Israel longed for their Messiah to come. And then we had Keith talk to us about Jesus's incarnation and that time of freedom, joy, of new life that he now offers you remember that Keith took us through a, the, some of the um, 
tracing down the line of Mary and of Joseph, also looked at that anticipation or that waiting. I had the chance to review Keith's slides afterwards. He sent them to me for me to actually have a look at. And Keith, in his slides, had enough for a whole series. Um, we, we, just got the, the, we just got the surface. So, and I should give a heads up to his family, because I've already asked Keith to turn that into a whole series for next Christmas, because it was amazing what was, what was packed into there. And then Andrew, he took us through the Christ's royal enthronement, the establishment of his kingdom, and many of us got to follow along on some of these by going through the little uh, purple booklet that we got that we could, in fact, enjoy uh, in preparation for the Christmas series. And then the fourth one is Jesus. So who is Jesus? Well, let's remember quickly. what the prophets said, and what the angels said, what the wise men said, and then, of course, what God the Father himself says as to the Lord Jesus. So in the prophet Isaiah, we've, we've read these verses already, but I want, to just, I want to just go back briefly over them again. Isaiah is one of the prophets that wrote back in the Old Testament, and he wrote hundreds of years probably five or 600 years before Christ came. And two of the verses, he, his book, the book of Isaiah, is just loaded with prophecies. It's amazing. He is also the prophet in the Old Testament that gives you some of the clearest gospel messages or gospel verses in the whole Old Testament, is in the book of Isaiah. I actually, in my preparation for this message, I started reading some of them in Isaiah, and like time was going by, and I was just like getting more and more immersed. And I had to sort of say, wait a second, if you've got a whole message to prepare, you can't just immerse yourself in this. But the prophet Isaiah is amazing, um, and these are two of them. The, the first one from Isaiah chapter 7, it says, the Lord himself will give you this sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child, she will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. One of the most incredible, most amazing signs, but it speaks back to, it reflects back on who Jesus is. He is the Son of God. God is his Father. And so it was in, it was in keeping with this. It was part of the whole plan that he would not have an earthly biological father, but that in fact, he would have, it, he would be divinely, that life would be, would be given divinely by God himself. Mary, it is very touching, and it was mentioned um, by one of the earlier speakers, I can't remember which one now, that Mary was, when she was told that she would be the mother of the Messiah, she didn't question it in terms of, was it true? She simply wanted to know how. And this is the how. The virgin will be with child. It was a divine miracle. God, the source of life, planted that seed in her, and it is amazing. It just, and it fits so well with the whole gospel message. 
So she will give birth to a son and call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. This is the amazing, incredible truth that we celebrate on Christmas, that God, the creator and sustainer of the universe, the one that is the author of life, the one that the, the heavens are the works of his fingers, that he chose to come and be one of us in the person of the Son of God. He actually, Scripture says his delights are with the sons of men. He actually chose to become a human being, to demonstrate, to show to us who God is. He had sent prophets. He had sent those that spoke of him back down through history. You remember in Hebrews chapter 1, many of us know that passage, God who at sundry times and in divers manners spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, in these last days he has spoken unto us in the person of the Son. This is what the incarnation is. He became flesh. He became one of us. Instead of speaking through others, now God was here in the person of the Son. God with us, Emmanuel. And then the second one from Isaiah, this child, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Wonder at the accuracy of scripture. This is written hundreds and hundreds of years before Christ came. But watch the wording. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. Notice that. It's, it's, it's amazing. That is the incarnation. That the baby is born. Yes, Jesus was born in a manger. He was born in Bethlehem, as had been prophesied. He had a mom. Her name was Mary. He was born somewhere between five and seven pounds, probably. And, like, he was a real, live baby. But at the same time, this, a son was given. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Because Jesus is God the Son, he forever existed. He was forever at the side of God the Father. So this was not the beginning of Jesus. This is not the beginning of God the Son. He always existed. He was always with the Father. He is part of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. So the scripture, to be 100% accurate, it says, a child is born, a son is given. That's what happened in Bethlehem so long ago. The government will rest upon his shoulders, and he will be called. And then it gives us these things. First of all, the government will rest on his shoulders. When we think of government, we always think of the wisdom that is needed. There are so many pressures. There are so many conflicting things. You picture anyone in, in a position of high office, and they've got challenges, even if they're always trying to do the right thing. We also know that governments rise and fall. They are un in, unstable at best. 
But scripture says of the increase of his government, there will be no end. The Lord Jesus is King of Kings. He is Lord of Lords. He is the one that controls and reigns over everything. Here's some deep theology for you today. No matter what you are struggling with, no matter what you are facing, the one who is King of Kings and Lord of Lords, he is never in a position where he says, oh shoot, what do I do now? Isn't that true? I like thinking about that. It sounds kind of super simple, but it's like so amazing in the, in the most complex, difficult things of our lives. He's never stumped. He, the internet doesn't freak him out. AI doesn't scare him. Like, this is God. This is the one who is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He is the one. The governments rest on his shoulder. He has, he's got it. And for us who come to know him, he is that wonderful counselor. He is that one we can always go to for wisdom. We find the wisdom, the wisdom that is so good for our lives in his word, and we also find it as we commune with him. He is mighty God, and we have spoken of that. He is everlasting Father. I love, it has given me great comfort over years in my life to read the verse in Hebrews that says, Our fathers disciplined us as they thought best, but he for our profit. Every one of us sitting in this room that is a father knows that we've screwed up. We have made mistakes. We, in, in our family, I'll reference our family probably a few times today because we were just together with them all yesterday. So Jessica is one of our daughters. Jessica was an amazingly easy child to raise. I punished her once in her growing up, and guess what? It was for something that her sister had done. Our fathers disciplined us as they thought best. He for our profit. You have an everlasting father, and he never makes a mistake. He always deals with us with wisdom and with love. And the Lord Jesus is the Prince of Peace. The Lord Jesus, with this world needs peace. In our earlier service this morning, we were speaking of the peace that only Jesus can bring. Jesus will bring, when he comes back to set up his kingdom, he will bring peace to this earth. But now he can and does bring peace in our hearts as we trust in him. So that was what the prophet said. That's just, a, that's just like a little glimpse of what the prophets foretold back in the Old Testament in the Bible. The angels, the angels said, the Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. You will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. I was sharing in the earlier service as I meditated on this verse, it jumped out at me that I pictured this moment in time, all the prophecies had spoken of this time when Christ would come into the world. 
All, the, the angels must have wondered, how could this be? They knew the Lord Jesus as the Son of God. They knew him as the one that sustained all things, the one who had absolute power and authority and control. And he is going to become this baby. You can imagine the mystery for the angelic host to ponder this. And so there comes this moment in time. They're out doing what the angels are doing. They're about serving. They're about coming alongside of mankind. And all of a sudden, there's a call that goes out. I pictured it like in the hospitals. If you've been in a hospital, all of a sudden you hear code something. And I don't know what the code is, but there's certain codes that when they, get, they go over the PA, all of a sudden, the, all the professionals, whatever, drop whatever they're doing, and they're running to room 263 or whatever it is where that code is. Guess what? There was a code that went out through the angelic host. Drop whatever you're doing. It doesn't matter. I'm God. I've got it. You're supposed to be right there, right then, to be part of that group worshiping because Christ is coming into the world. That was what the angels said. The wise men. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. And the star that they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. This in itself was prophetic. If you go back to Isaiah 60, you see that the gold and the frankincense was already, for, was already foretold, that in fact, this is what they would be bringing. We suspect that gold, it, gold seems to symbolize in scripture often kingliness, um, rich riches, it also symbolizes his purity. You notice it in the, uh, in the ark and in the uh, tabernacle. You have things overlaid with gold or covered with gold, especially in the holiest. It is a symbol of that purity and that holiness and that which uh, characterizes a king. The frankincense in the offerings that were presented to God, there was pure frankincense. Frankincense has to do with with a smell, with, a, with something that fills the room. There is, there is a, a, something of worship in frankincense. And myrrh is something which speaks to suffering and death. Myrrh was used in the embalming that would take place or what, the prepare, preparation of bodies for burial. You have these three things, and Scripture doesn't actually expand on them for us, but by, by looking at Scripture and looking at other places where it's mentioned, you get these ideas of what the symbolism was there. These wise men, um, in our tradition in the West, we think of the three wise men. In some of the other Christian traditions, there are actually a dozen wise men. So don't get too hung up on the three. We know that, there were, that the three gifts are mentioned. We also don't, probably it didn't happen, actually in the stable, the same night that the birth was uh, happening and that the shepherds came. This appears to have happened actually sometime later, probably when Jesus was between one and two years old. But the um, important part of this is that these wise men see a baby or a young child and they bow down and worship. 
We had some young children in our family bash yesterday. None of them caused in the remotest part of my thoughts the thought to bow down and worship. They were actually quite a pain. Um, but this is baby Jesus. And picture it, just grasp it, that these wise men travel, follow a star, and they bow down and worship. Wise men and wise women still bow down and worship to Jesus. And then we have the Father himself. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 3, a voice from heaven that said, This is my dearly beloved Son, who brings me great joy. The Father declares himself who this one is, the Lord Jesus. I want to now take this and make it really personal. I want to talk to you about my Savior, the Lord Jesus. When we speak of Christmas, when we sing the songs together, we can talk about it as if it is a, um, a belief, as if it is a religion, as if it is something that, that we come to, come to know and come to appreciate and that we respect in our family traditions. But the story of the cross, the story of Jesus, is a very personal story. If we keep it only as a tradition, we have lost, we have missed the meaning and the reality of who Jesus is. There is a hymn that I just love, and I want to walk through it as part of, our, uh, of this message today. This is what it says, and trust me, I won't be singing this, just so that you can relax. Jesus, my Savior, to Bethlehem came, laid in a manger to sorrow and shame. Oh, it was wonderful. Blessed be his name, seeking for me. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. When Jesus came into the world 2,000 years ago, when he was born into that manger, he knew that in 1956, a guy named David would be born in a hospital in Toronto and that he would need a savior. He knew that I would grow up sinning as I went. He knew that everything in my heart would naturally rebel against God. He knew that I would want to kill my brothers many times. I have three of them. He knew that I needed a savior. And so 2,000 years ago, Jesus, I knew I was going to have trouble with this. It's when it's, to talk about it generally is okay. When you talk about it personally, it has, it, it, it gets you that he came 2,000 years ago, but he knew that I was going to need a savior. And so he came to Bethlehem. He came to show me what God was like. He came to show me that God, who created me, loves me, and that he wants to have 
a relationship with me. He wants to save me. He wants to bring me into his home. And so he came seeking, looking for me. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's why he came. Yes, he came to save the world. Yes, he came to save you. But what's most important to me is that he came to save me. Not okay for me to say that? Like, I like you guys. I love you guys. But what's really important is he came to save me. When I was just a young boy, six or seven years old, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. I realized that he had died for me. That it wasn't just for everybody, but it was actually for me. And I believed in my heart that he died for me on Calvary's cross. And when I did, my sins were washed away, and I became one of his children. I became someone that was redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. That is what you and I have in common who know and love and follow Jesus. And if you don't yet know Jesus as your Savior, the Lord Jesus came to this earth 2,000 years ago as a baby seeking for you. He came because he loves you. And he wants you to know also the forgiveness of sins, to know that you have a living, loving Savior. The next verse, the lower part of what's on the slide, it says, Jesus, my Savior, on Calvary's tree, paid the great debt, and my soul he set free. Oh, it was wonderful. How could it be dying for me? You see, there was a transaction that had to happen. Jesus came, and as he lived his life here, he showed us what God was really like. At one point, he is asked, show us the Father, and we'll be satisfied. And he answers and says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. He basically was explaining that he was, he had in his life, he had illustrated what God was like. So, on the cross, though, there was something very different. Because, you see, Jesus could have lived. He could have lived his life, shown us the heart of God, and then gone back to heaven. But if he had done that, you and I would still be without a Savior. He would have, we would learn that God loves us, but we would have no way to, in fact, go and be with God. That transaction happened at Calvary. So those of us that know and follow Jesus, we actually see the most important event is not the birth of Jesus. It's actually when Jesus died. Because the birth of Jesus, while it's awesome and it fulfilled a whole lot of prophecies, it does not save us. It is when on the cross he paid the debt and my soul he set free. In Scripture, there are many, many verses that help us to understand this, that help us to kind of um, 
get capture this or grasp what it really was all about. But let me just read you one. If you've got your Bible, just turn to, this is like an amazing verse. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And right at the end of the chapter, verse 21, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. If you got it on your, on your phone, you can look it up there. But this verse is amazing for how it says it so clearly. God made him, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There is, I think, the most concise explanation of the transaction or the event of Calvary's cross in terms of what actually happened there. God made him, made the Lord Jesus, who had no sin. So Jesus was holy, he was pure, he never sinned in his whole life. He was perfect. But God took our sin and put it on the Lord Jesus. Back in Isaiah, it says that all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to our own way. And Jehovah laid on him the iniquity of us all. So there on Calvary's cross, our sins were put on the Lord Jesus. He took them as his own. He who knew no sin or had no sin became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So there is a transfer of righteousness that happens now when we accept Jesus as our Savior, when we believe in him. The righteousness of God is transferred to us, and he becomes our righteousness. So when God looks at me now, the guy that grew up with all the hatred and all the anger and all the bad stuff in my heart that any of us have, God looks at me and he says, he is righteous. But it's because the righteousness of Jesus has been transferred onto me. I have received his righteousness. He is my righteousness. That's what the transaction that is made possible in me because of what happened at Calvary's cross. And so as we have as we have in this hymn, he paid the great debt, and my soul he set free. Oh, it was wonderful. How could it be dying for me? Jesus died for me on Calvary's cross. He died for you too. But what's most important for me is that he died for me on Calvary's cross. And that's why I know and love and follow Jesus. The next verse in the, in the hymn says, Jesus my Savior, the same as of old, while I was wandering in darkness and cold, gently and long did he plead with my soul, calling for me, for me. Some of us came to know Jesus when we were young. Some of us wandered and didn't come 
follow Jesus. Maybe we never heard about him, or maybe we chose to turn away and to actually not follow him. But there's an amazing thing that happens, and I have seen this right in our own family. That, as one poet says, he speaks about the hound of heaven. There is a seeking that goes on because God, our Father, loves us with an incredible love. And so, you remember the story in the Bible? Many of us have heard of it, even if it's just as an allegory, if you don't really know the Bible, but about the 99 sheep and the one that goes astray, and how the shepherd leaves the 99 and goes after that one sheep to find it and to bring it back. The heart of God towards us is a seeking God. He wants us to, he comes after us. He draws us. And if you do not know Jesus as your Savior today, you are being sought after by the God who sent Jesus to die on the cross. You are being sought after. He wants you. You are invited to come. So it says he's the same Savior, the same as of old, and when we're wandering in darkness and cold, gently and long, did he plead with my soul, calling for me. Many of us look back in our lives and we see that, that shepherd's heart in the heart of God seeking for us and seeking for us. And I would encourage my brothers and sisters, if there are those in your circle, that even as you meet with them for Christmas, even as you sing Christmas carols or hear them playing on the radio, that that loved one of yours still doesn't know and follow Jesus. I say to you, remember, he is a seeking God. And he continues to seek. He continues to go after. And we have seen it. My grandfather, six weeks before he died, he finally accepted Jesus. Now, he did say, what a fool I've been all my life. But he refused, refused, refused until six weeks before he died. The hound of heaven, the Lord Jesus himself, he seeks and saves that which is lost. That's the Savior that was born in Bethlehem's manger. Jesus, my Savior, shall come from on high. Sweet is the promise as weary years fly. Oh, I shall see him descend from the sky, coming for me. The Lord Jesus is coming again. The Bible says, this same Jesus, the angels said this, the same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so, so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. The Lord Jesus is coming back. In 1 Thessalonians 4, it says, The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds, and we will meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Those of us that know and follow Jesus, he is coming back. Remember, he was born in the stable, he lived his life. He died on Calvary's cross. He rose again from the dead three days later. The Lord Jesus is a living, glorified Savior. He is now at the right hand of God. 
He is there as our advocate. He is there as our high priest. He represents us before God with his own blood that he offered at Calvary. But he is coming back. And for those of us that know and love him, that is crazy exciting. It is amazing to think that one day, perhaps today, the Lord Jesus will return. This world is crying out for peace. This world is getting to the point where they can't even figure it out. How are we going to ever have peace in our world? You just read or listen or however you get your news and you know there is no peace here. But the Lord Jesus is coming back. He is the Prince of Peace. Remember what Isaiah said? Mighty God, everlasting Father, wonderful Counselor, and Prince of Peace. The Lord Jesus is coming back, and when he comes, and only when he comes, will this world have peace. This is my Jesus. This is the one who loved me and died for me. And the most important thing is that he loves me and died for me. But he also loves you, and he wants to know you, and he wants to be your savior. He wants to be your Lord. And this invitation is open for all. In John's Gospel, I'm not sure if I've got this verse up there or not. What's the next slide? I can't, yes. This is like, I'll wrap with this. It just says it all so clearly. As Jesus said this himself, as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus references back to an Old Testament story where a whole bunch of the Israelites had been bitten by snakes, which is a type of sin, and Moses was told, put a snake made out of brass on a pole. Do you know that we still have this as the symbol of medicine, the symbol of healing? You look all over the world. It seems like no matter where you are in the world, and you will see the pole with the, with the snake on it, guess where that comes from? It was in the Bible where... God gave an example, an illustration of Jesus suffering for us on the cross, of him who knew no sin being made sin for us. That's what that is. That snake was put on the pole, and anyone who looked to it would live. And in that, you have this most amazing illustration of what Jesus asks or invites you to do today. If you have never looked to the Lord Jesus as your Savior... He says to you, just as there was that snake on a pole, and that snake with representing sin, representing us being bitten by sin, is a type of Jesus because he became sin for us. So, he then summarizes it in probably the best known verse in the whole world. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son. Imagine this, Jesus saying this. He's speaking about himself. But he's illustrating, or he's, he's, he's teaching about the plan of salvation. So God, his father, loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son, which is him. 
He's the one saying it. So that everyone who believes, take out that everyone and put your own name in if you've never done it before. So that when you, with your name in there, believe in him, you will not perish but have everlasting life. If you do that today, you will celebrate Christmas this year in a very different way to what you have ever done before. Because then you will see the Christmas story not as a tradition, not as something that is passed down, not as something that you just hear in, in the songs sung during this time, but you will know that Jesus, and you would be able to sing then, Jesus, my Savior, to Bethlehem came. That he was living for me, dying for me, he's risen for me, and he's coming for me. I invite you to do that today. It is the greatest, the most important decision that you will ever make. It will change the course of your life as it has changed mine. It is a decision that I will never regret. In fact, I have not met people that have regretted deciding to follow Jesus. I have met many who regretted not deciding to follow Jesus sooner. This is your invitation. Receive Jesus as your savior. You can pray to him right where you are. You can simply, quietly tell him that you receive him as your savior. You believe that he died for you. And when you do so, your sins are forgiven and you are forever a child of God. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you. We know that you, this, this whole plan originated in your heart. It was the Father that sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. We thank you, Father, that in Jesus' coming, in that scene that we are picturing today in the manger, that it was Jesus, your Son, our Savior, that was come. And you did this because you wanted us to have salvation. You wanted us to have the righteousness of God. Father, we marvel at it. We're amazed. We know we've only scratched the surface today talking about it. But Father, we ask that by your Holy Spirit working, that everyone under the sound of this message today, whether here in the room or whether online, that there would, there would be a decision, if that has not been made already, in their hearts to know and follow the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. We thank you, Father, for Jesus. We thank you for who he is. We thank you for his sacrifice at Calvary's cross. And we worship everyone that knows him as Savior. We would together worship him as our Savior and as our Lord. So we thank you and we lift the name of Jesus high together.